Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Ari Magales about strategy and risk. Before we start the podcast today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. For me, I'm on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to elders past and present and any First Nations people who may be listening today. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. Yes, we've had an unsuccessful referendum in Australia to incorporate the voice into the constitution. But regardless, I note that Indigenous elders have said that they maintain the vision of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I too continue to support the Uluru Statement from the Heart and I encourage others in the Take On Board community to do the same. I stand in solidarity with First Nations people for reconciliation. Now, let me introduce Ari. Ari is on the boards of Arthritis and Osteoporous Tasmania and Palliative Care Tasmania. She's a committee member of the Economic Society of Australia, the Tasmanian branch, and a community advisory member of Red Nose Australia. She was formerly on the boards of the United Nations of Australia, the UNAA Tasmanian Committee and Young Professionals, and a member of the UNAA Young Professionals National Committee, and also formerly a board member and president of A Fairer World. Ari is a senior economist and the founder of Omni Strategic, a consultancy specialising in finance, business performance and risk. She's been involved with delivering over $100 million in bottom line results to clients across various industries, from big pharma to community services. Ari has international experience and is very active in the economic space, being a member of the Committee for Economic Development of Australia and the Economic Society of Australia. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Ari. Thank you, Halia. It's great to be here. It is so awesome to have you here. And whilst I'm very keen to talk about your wonderful areas of strategy and risk, two things that are also very close to my heart, as always, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper about you. So tell me about your upbringing and the lessons that you learned, what you got up to, and the leading influences on how you thought and what you did. Thank you, Halia. So as you can tell from my accent, I'm not originally from Australia. I was born in Brazil and I moved around quite a bit as a kid and as I got older as well. My first experience overseas was when I was 
five years old, I lived in France with my family for two years. And it's because of my dad's work. And we moved around as a child. I moved around, in, moved in, lived in different states in Brazil and also lived overseas in various countries. And what I think really shaped me and how I think and how I approach things is how much I value diversity. So being in different countries and learning different languages, experiencing different cultures, you realize the wealth of different perspectives. And you also realize how much value being open and listening and learning from others adds value to you, how you do things. I did a, a school exchange where I was at in high school. Then I did a university exchange. I also did part of my master's abroad. And here I am. I've been in Australia for almost eight years and I absolutely love it. And I think it, what really shaped me was that experience. And I am an introvert. So initially I had, I also struggled, always struggled with moving and going to different places and, and having to kind of start from scratch. But now I'm someone that absolutely love change. I love change. I love challenges. And that's what I specialize in now is helping businesses that are going through significant change, either a commission or really financial distress, or they're going through growth. And that's really what I do as a consultant and what I love doing as a board member as well. Interesting. It's so fascinating for me to hear that background of people and yeah, that moving around and change and diversity is a common thread now from your young childhood through to what you do now. You mentioned languages in there. I'm going to be embarrassed to even ask this on my behalf, not on yours, but how many languages do you speak? I speak six languages. Which languages? So my native language is Portuguese. Then my second language is French, English, Spanish, Italian, and German. Okay, yes. I speak English and bad Italian that I'm learning on Duolingo. Uh, (laughs) Well, actually, and just out of interest, how many countries have you lived in or which countries have you lived in? I've lived in, I think, eight countries. So I've lived in Brazil, of course, Germany, the UK, France, Italy, Guatemala, Australia. I promise I'm going to get onto strategy and risk in a moment, but just one more in that background. What brought you to Australia? Actually, so what brought me to Australia was a project in consultancy. So I used to work for a large consultancy company. So I did my master's in international management. So after doing my master's in era, I went back to Brazil, was working in Brazil with a Brazilian client. I said, what am I doing? But international management and the consultancy I worked for said, oh, we have a couple of projects coming up in, in Australia. Would you be interested in in working there, in in supporting us, I said, yeah, why not? I've never been to Australia. So my original plan was to come here for the project and stay around maybe one to two years. And well, then I met my Australian husband and here I am eight years later. (laughs) Excellent. Well done, Australian husband on grabbing Ari and keeping her here. That is excellent importation, if that's the word, of talent. Thank you for sharing some of that background. It's like I say, it gives us a a taste of what you're about and who you are. So let's dig into strategy and risk then, two areas close to your heart. Where should we begin? Well, as always, we should begin with talking about a company's mission and vision. That's always the first thing and the first question. And I've seen a few boards have 
that vision at the top of every board paper, which I think is a really interesting and really good practice. And everything, when we talk about strategy, it is really, what is your vision and how are you going to get there? So what are, are these goals? What is going to progress your business or get your business to further its mission and to get closer to its vision? So that's the strategy. And the risk is the what will impact you? What will impact your ability to deliver these objectives? And I'm a big advocate of positive risk. So when we talk about risks, we always start with our risks as threats, right? What can prevent you from achieving these goals? But risks are also opportunities, so positive risks. What will happen that we can actually leverage? And a great example was COVID. So COVID had a massive impact on organizations and people, but also it drove digital transformation significantly. And it's certainly an example of leveraging a positive risk. It would obviously be better if we hadn't had to have a pandemic or still be in a pandemic, really. I don't think we're out the other side yet, but you are absolutely right. This virtual world and digital transformation of the way things have done, it's pretty amazing. I think of one of the boards that I'm on is a conciliation and arbitration service. And I remember my first day of induction wandering around and there was these trolleys packed with folders full of paper, which were the files for people that were coming before conciliation at the time. And well, that's gone now overnight. Like we couldn't do that during a pandemic. There was no paper files. People had to go to digital. And I am not underestimating how challenging that was, both in terms of getting the right information, but it absolutely has driven some positive change. So I know you're on the board or we're on the board of A Fairer World. In fact, firstly, tell us what is A Fairer World? And then secondly, there might be a bit of a story that you've got for us about the impact of COVID and what that meant in that organisation. Yes, so A Fair World, they've been around for almost 40 years now. So they're a Tasmanian organisation and they promote social justice. So they deliver a series of workshops around diversity and inclusion. They've got an amazing program called Students Against Racism in partnership with the Tasmanian TAFE. They've also got another, of course, I'm a bias, I'm a big fan. They've got a, a program called the Hobart Human Library, where you can read books, so you read people, people with very different experiences around racism, around domestic violence, around disability, and you get to read them, you get to talk to them, and it's such an impactful way. So that's what they do. And what happened, so at the time, in, so in 2020, early 2020, I was the president of a fair world and COVID happened. So if you think that the living workshops, right? So in 2020, early 2020, 100% of the workshops were delivered in person through government funding, for example, to schools. There was a, a program to deliver the Hobart Human Library and other trainings to schools throughout the state and also to organizations, to companies, government businesses, etc. And we had to put everything to a halt. And as you can imagine, it had a massive impact on our cash flow, on our finances. One very useful tool that we had at the time was looking at that risk register. So managing the risk and knowing what do we have to look at 
of window as most businesses or many businesses we did not have the potential impact of a pandemic on our register but we did have something impacting our ability to deliver workshops and what the financial financial impact on cash flow so we knew that we had x months left right of cash flow so that pushed us to do a change, something that was part of our strategy, which was looking at our programs, how we can deliver them better, how we can reach more people. So what we did was we got an organization to do it pro bono for us, which was helping us create digital workshops. All the setup, which was very time consuming and all the the understanding, not only around the technology, but the upskilling of the team, of our staff, of our books, of our members and all the legal considerations. Of course, if you can imagine that these very sensitive conversations were held in private environments, so you you felt safe, you felt like you could share anything, you could ask anything. So how was that going to work virtually? So it was was a huge challenge, but we did it. We did it. So in three months, we started doing delivering workshops again virtually. And since then, I've left the board, but I have caught up recently with their their coordinator. And more than half of the workshops they are being currently delivered are delivered virtually. That kind of risk lens and even that strategic lens that, I mean, you could just go to your risk register, pull it out. It's like, oh my God, pandemic, quick, we've got to have a board meeting to work out what to do. And you weren't starting with a blank slate. You were starting with the risk register, which, as you say, probably didn't have global pandemic on it, but was still valuable for you in then helping you reset the strategy in a way. Is that Does that sound like a reasonable characterization of how it came together? Yes, exactly. It is a tool. It's a tool that can help you. We use the word agile, which a lot of people use, but really being responsive being able to be a lot more responsive and being very a lot more confident around how well your turnaround is or how well can you how prepared you are to address any challenges that might come your way and how you can on the other hand leverage it like i said we had that massive financial impact but on the flip side we wanted to advance our vision and our mission which is to promote social justice And that actually gave us an avenue to expand that reach. So just keeping your eye on the ball, so to speak, of the vision of the organisation. And it's interesting you say that about expanding the reach. I mean, I haven't attended one of the human library events that you've run, but I have heard of, I was talking to somebody the other day who attended a human library event. I don't know, I think it was in Denmark or Finland or something like that because they could. They weren't in Denmark. They were in their little downtown place in regional Victoria, I think, zooming in to hear some incredible story from somebody on the other side of the world. So you're right, expanding reach has actually been accentuated by the change in strategy or not. Actually, I shouldn't say change in strategy. It's a different way of achieving the strategy, the same strategy that you always had, the same vision that you always had. Exactly. You can achieve it, as you know, there are different scenarios. You can come up with their different ways in delivering it. But that put us in a position where we said, oh, actually, we really have to pick this area because that's what we're facing now. So in that, 
wasn't quite just one moment, but in March 2020, when everything was going haywire, I think what I'm hearing is your board got together and what they did was went back to, inverted commas, vision and purpose of the organisation, went to the risk register and said, what do these guiding documents, how do they help us in dealing with what we have before us today, which isn't mentioned anywhere in these documents, but how will they help us do what we need to do? Exactly. And one of the examples was, or the possibilities we discussed was that we we did have some savings. So we said, let's, we could use that money, but we couldn't really. It wasn't the best option because of the cash flow implications and obligations to pay staff and to support operations. So we looked at other options and we managed, thankfully, we managed to get a initial, that initial work that really got us back online. <laughs> Uh, we managed to get that word pro bono. So like I say, I'm hearing in there the importance of vision and purpose being upfront, front of mind in all of what you do. And as you say, prompting it to even be on every board paper so that it's front of mind in what you do, pandemic or not. I'm also hearing in there that your risk framework and your risk register is helpful, even if the risk itself that's on your doorstep is not the one that's outlined there. It'll still give you some guidance in how to deal with those risks. Exactly. That's exactly right. And one thing that I like saying is that a lot of organizations say, I need a risk framework. We need a risk register. And they'll get the risk register done and that's it. Okay, we have a risk register. Great. The thing is that if it's not you, it doesn't really add any value. So when you do that, go through that exercise and when your team goes through that exercise, think of it as a tool that will help you make better decisions. And in that, this specific example, deal with crisis better. This is a kind of a micro question, but I'm interested. So strategy discussions, risk discussions, and kind of subset of that risk appetite discussions, what order should they go in? Like if a board's thinking of doing their new strategy, do they start with their big vision, strategic direction, or do they start with risk appetite, or do they start with what risks are on the radar? What's the best order in your view to do these things? In that case, I believe you should start with, of course, looking at the vision and mission, but looking at the risk appetite. So really you want to set an appetite for tolerances. How much risk is the organization willing to take in pursuit of its mission or its in its, its strategic objectives. So you think of how much am I willing to spend? How much am I willing to change my strategy or pivot my strategy to respond to an event? How open I am I to any disruptions in operations? How open am I to being liable for non-compliance, regulatory implications? At which level? At a state level, at a national level, at a local level? or just internal uh, non-compliance against internal procedures. So all the discussion should happen first, looking at your tolerances, looking at the limits. Then when you, what happens is when you define your strategies, you, you're able to test the strategy again against the, those risk tolerances. So it's a little bit circular. Yeah, exactly. And you adjust accordingly. So it is, yeah, it is circular. And and then you you define the risk register. So really, or of course, that's if that's, you think for the first time, what's the best sequence? But it's all interconnected and you have to basically keep an eye on everything and monitor and then that controlling and monitoring and using that information, those documents as tools is what really matters. And the other really important thing is when we're talking about particularly about risk appetite, 
is defining in a way that can be understood by people, by your team, because another very common practice is to have risk appetite statements that are broad statements that really, you don't really know what they're talking about or really don't know what it means to what you do. Say, this sounds great. You know, we are calm, we are ambitious, but cautious, but <laughs> those statements that you say, okay, that sounds beautiful. It sounds great. I don't really know how to apply. So when you define that risk appetite, those statements, those tolerances, have articulate them. You can always have, of course, have the statements, have those high level definitions and those paragraphs there that talk about everything at a high level, but articulate it also in a way that is tangible that your team can use as a tool for decision making. So when you have an executive making decision, you want them to be able to go back to the risk appetite that has been set by the board and say, okay, where does the, my decision sit? Is it within risk tolerance or risk limits, the risk limits set by the board, by the organization? So really think about it, how it can be used. So again, good practice. I've seen organizations have it articulated and, and I've helped define that as well in, in ways they're so, so clear, then you use as a tool. People have printouts at their desks. So when they they think, oh, I'm I'm working on this project, on this business case, let me have a look at the risk appetite and see if it sits within tolerance. See how it aligns. Yeah, nice. And in fact, even, you know, I'm thinking of your observation before about having the strategic vision of the organisation on board papers, potentially also the risk appetite and how it relates to whatever is the content of that board paper. What's the risk appetite and how does what is being proposed align with the risk appetite? Exactly, exactly. You include that as a discussion and the board should be really comfortable and aware of those tolerances of that risk appetite because when is it going through the discussions and making decisions that you have to, okay, what do we say again about what is our position regarding this when you're talking about risk? Yeah. So boards set the strategic vision, they set the purpose, they discuss the risk appetite and establish that they've got their risk framework, tick, 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 job done, right? They then just pass it to the organization just to get it all done. Is that how it works? <laughs> well, one of the key things is, Really, you have all that documentation. It's just beautiful, right? It's branded, it's colorful, color-coded. It's printed in non-eco-friendly. <laughs> and you're just super proud of it. And then you give it out to everyone, you share it. And then what? They might not be using it. They might not understand it. And so really, the most important thing here is execution, right? Is to monitor it to make sure it's being used and to one be aware and to do something if it's not being used or if, if if it's not in line with your expectations. So really that monitoring and and particularly so strategy execution is even more important than strategy itself in the sense that you think of two organizations. One has an amazing strategic plan and doesn't execute it. And the other one doesn't have a very good strategic plan, but has a passionate team that understand the vision and they get things done. Who is going to deliver the best result? Yes. All right. Salient lessons there for boards as well. It's like you can't just tick that box and say job done. Your role is to 
ensure it's the oversight of the strategy. So it can't just be handing it on. It's that oversight and monitoring, as you say, that it is actually happening on the ground. And if not, why not? There might be very good reasons why I'm imagining for your organisation at the time of Fairer World, that was probably on your strategy. I don't know deliver all these face-to-face workshops and we increase reach in this way. And you probably didn't do any of that, all for very good reason. So even if things are not happening, just exploring why that is and what that might mean for tweaking the strategy or tweaking the risk appetite or tweaking the risk framework. Yeah, exactly. And when I talk about even monitoring and, and when you talk about what, what would the board look at, one of the very useful things is looking at a dashboard. So looking at how are things progressing and particularly the deviations, right? You have an amber traffic light, right? Traffic light. So things are not going as expected. Why is that? It might be okay. Ari, so many great tips in here and stories that you've shared about to bring it to life. What are the main things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? There are are three things I would like to share that that I kind of mentioned it throughout our conversation. The first one is execution is more important than strategy. And I'm not saying the right strategy is absolutely essential, but you have to make sure it's being executed and you have to keep track. The second thing is risk can and should be used as a tool to help your business achieve goals. So don't think of risk management as a tick the box exercise, as a, we oh, we have a risk register and that's it. But really, how do you use it? How is it adding value? Because if it's not adding value, it might not be the right tool or you might have it, but you might communicate it in a different way. And the third one, which I've heard other guests on your podcast mention as well, is the keep learning, right? So I would love everyone to learn a bit more about risk and the tools available to help manage that better. What does that mean? And learn also about the best tools to help you monitor strategy execution and what works better for your business and for your context, for your team. Excellent tips in there. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Well, there is a book I highly recommend. It's fascinating. It's by a doctor called Atul Gawande. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. It talks about the power of checklists. And he talks about why not have checklists in operating rooms? Where else can we have checklists? And it's an easy way to make sure that you're on track. So we talked about tools. There are various tools. There are complex tools, dashboards, automated, you know, Power BI, etc. But one of them is checklists. And checklists are particularly helpful when you're talking about operations and, and making sure you covered all the points. I've seen checklists being used when you're developing a project. So when you're undertaking a project plan and you have that, you want to, you need to have a, that initial discussion. So I'm covering all the bases. And one of the items on that list is where does a project sit against risk appetite? <laughs> so yeah, it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. It opens your mind to how simple tools can be used even in complex environments and how much they can add so much value. Ari, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to 
have a chat to me on the podcast today and for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community. I really appreciate it and I've got no doubt the community does as well. So thanks for being here today. Thank you very much, Helia. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.